Welcome back to Misdiagnosed. I'm your host, Caitlin Pyle, and it's the week of Thanksgiving. In fact, I'm recording this on Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving. And while I realize that most people will be busy on Friday, myself included, I am working on getting into like a mental habit of just getting one episode done per week. So I don't care if anybody listens to this. I hope <laughs> I hope they do, but truly the main purpose of this podcast is to give myself an outlet of self-expression as part of my healing journey and to share this information, not just with myself, but with others, but definitely myself too. I mean, I want to learn this stuff and the best way to learn something is by teaching it to other people. And so I can tell you that having done the last three episodes, going through each of these chapters and on the things that I've highlighted and notes that I've taken, reading them to someone else, nice and slow, gives me a much deeper understanding than it would if... I were just going off of memory or if I were like if somebody said okay well what's the book about I'd be like um I can name you a couple of the chapters and maybe tell you what neurons are but now I feel like the information that I've shared in these episodes is more of a part of me and I think the term for that is embodiment like I want to embody this information and have it really become part of my consciousness conscious awareness whatever you want to call that my energy so it becomes part of my identity and as I'm reading other books I read a lot of books. Like right now, I'm reading Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza, which I heard Joe Dispenza on Danica Patrick's podcast. And if you haven't heard Danica Patrick's pretty intense podcast, it's so good. She has a lot of high performers on there and they talk about spiritual things, but in a really accessible way. And it's not woo woo. It's just like, here's the facts, you know? <laughs> I think spiritual stuff has this reputation with a lot of people of just being pseudoscientific. And if, you know, our science as we know it can't prove that it's real, then it's not, right? But science as we know it for a very long time, like I'm talking Newtonian physics, cause and effect physics that we learned, I remember learning in high school back in, gosh, it was 2004. 2004, 2005, we're learning Newtonian physics. There's no room in Newtonian physics for quantum physics and what the quantum is and how everything is actually energy and that atoms aren't what we thought. Like they're not a physical piece of anything. It's vibrating matter, 99.9999% nothing. (laughs) I'm learning that and realizing that what we think of as science isn't very much. Like there's not It's like a tiny sliver of what we think we know, and it's constantly evolving. And we might do like a special episode here or there, just sharing information from that book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, learning how and why we try so hard to change and then don't. Like we're ruled by our environments, we're ruled by our bodies because our bodies and brains get into the habit of thinking a certain way and when we think a certain way, we feel a certain way. When we feel a certain way, we think a certain way and so our thoughts, it's like this loop, like a thinking feeling loop is what it's called. And that can even mean that if we're not feeling negative, that we feel like something's wrong. (laughs) So we try to implement something that makes us feel better. Our brain and our bodies release certain chemicals because say it's used to feeling really guilty all the time. And then all of a sudden you're trying to train the body to do something different. And your body literally is so habituated to that feeling 
that it gives off chemicals saying something's wrong, something's wrong. And so you might say, oh, this doesn't feel right. And you could mistake that as your intuition or quote, listening to your body. And it just, it doesn't feel right for me. Right. And we just end up doing the same things. And I'm really coming to terms with the fact that I do not want a boring life where I do the same things all the time. It's making me consider my relationships. Like who do I want to be in a relationship with? Who do I want to build my life with? It's making me consider all of that. Because if I settle down with the wrong partner and somebody who isn't aware of these things, has no desire or interest to be aware of these things because it, it doesn't, quote, affect their life, it's just willful ignorance. Number one, it's unattractive. Number two, it's not something that I feel I'm compatible with because I know now that there's something beyond, something more that exists and is available and out there, and I'm just not going to settle. It's making me really consider what choices I'm making. Yesterday, Monday, was kind of a eh day. You know, I didn't eat very well over the weekend, and I find that tends to be a pattern for me. It's just I feel I can just eat whatever I want over the weekend, which wasn't terrible or anything. I mean, I had some salad, but I compromised my food values, and I feel like I pay for that, and I feel it in my body, and I feel it in my brain. Like, just half the day yesterday was brain fog and understanding being conscious of that and not blaming myself for it that's me learning a new habit and not letting it define my whole day and by the end of the day I was feeling great I got my float tank last night which I'm working on making that a habit getting into the float tank every Monday night for at least an hour although this week's session I pushed it to 70 minutes because I'm trying to stay in there longer just to see what happens and I'm really loving it And then I sat down and I was reading Joe Dispenza's book and I read the chapter on overcoming your environment and then overcoming your body. It was fascinating learning about how little control we were taught we have over whether or not we get diseases. I love how it jives so much with what Anthony teaches. There's just a lot of overlap between what Anthony says in Brain Saver and all of his other books and what I'm learning here from Dr. Joe. Just in the beginning, I'll just read this really poignant paragraph, the very beginning of chapter three, Overcoming Your Body. It says, every time you have a thought, there is a biochemical reaction in the brain. You make a chemical. The brain then releases specific chemical signals to the body, where they act as messengers of the thought. When the body gets these chemical messages from the brain, it complies instantly by initiating a matching set of reactions directly in alignment with what the brain is thinking. Then the body immediately sends a confirming message back up to the brain that it's now feeling exactly the way the brain is thinking. So that's kind of an illustration of the thought feeling loop. And it has everything to do with what we've been learning so far from BrainSaver and how information is passed back and forth through the neuron networks. Now, Joe Dispenza's book doesn't go into quite as much heavy detail as... Brain saver, but it's important to see how they work together and understanding that if there's these heavy metals and toxins that are, in fact, the culprit for most diseases, these things that we put into our bodies and allow ourselves to breathe and eat and put on our skin, all those things contribute to the diseases that we've been told are genetic and we've taken our power away. And we don't realize that a simple, and it is simple, it's not always easy, but it's simple, but a simple lack of understanding of what the brain is doing, what's going on in there, and how all these things that are in our environment, including our thoughts, can be affected by this. So jumping back into chapter three, your alloy brain, we left off right before the section on page 29 called electrical heat. And the electrical heat in our brain has a lot to do with the feelings that we feel. 
our mental illness symptoms that we've been told are incurable diseases, right, that we have to take these medications for have everything to do with the heat that is generated in our brain, especially bipolar disorder. And we're not there yet. We're not to that chapter. But there's a lot about electrical heat and the role it plays in generating the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Because our brains have the ability to generate a tremendous amount of heat. But it's not like our brains are physically heating up like a really hot oven. Like you're going to bake some cookies, turn on the oven. It's not heating like that. The kind of heat that Anthony's talking about is on a completely different scale. And we don't have technology that's advanced enough, hasn't been invented yet, to determine the heat scale that the brain creates. Now, I can remember doing the spec scan at Amen Clinics in March of 2021. It doesn't measure the heat, but it measures the activity. And you can see the different, I guess, colors that represent certain things in the brain. It's very interesting. But there's no technology to measure the heat in the brain yet. (laughs) So it's a heat that's generated by electrical patterns of the brain inside the body, but not outside the body. The electrical field in our brain is extremely small and really thin. And so we have to see it on a miniature scale. It's a flash heat, a quick heat, a heat that happens fast and also dies down fast. And that makes it all the much harder to detect. It's not supposed to be sustained the way a fire is sustained. It's totally different. Brain heat is actually supposed to occur as flash sparks. But it's an intense heat. And the reason that it almost instantly cools down and disappears when everything is as it should be anyway, is that there's three physical safeguards inside our head. The first one is a space between our skull and our brain that actually helps cool the brain. And then the second one is that there's cerebrospinal fluid that contains water and magnesium, which is why magnesium is a very important trace mineral that acts as a coolant. The third one is glucose in the brain that also acts as a coolant. So you can kind of think of your brain as an engine and it needs coolant. When everything is in good working order though, and our brain has everything that it needs, that means the electrical field in our brain can spark up constantly and cool down just as quickly as it ignites and travels. And then actually there's a fourth automatic safeguard in how the brain operates. And that is that the brain is constantly shifting gears. It's shifting pathways constantly so that electrical pattern doesn't stay the same and allows there to be a chance for electrical pathways to cool down from the electrical flashes that we get when we're thinking. (laughs) Thinking that can lead to feelings, right? And that can affect our moods or going about a task, right? Those electrical pathways need to be able to cool down. So you're doing one thing and then another, and that's why it's so important not to do the same thing all the time, really try to push ourselves out of our comfort zones and Otherwise, like our body is literally conditioned. This is what Joe Dispenza says. Our bodies are literally conditioned to stay the same. And if we stay the same, we're going to get the same thing all the time. And then we're going to end up in life wondering why we're always getting the same thing, but we're always doing the same things. And it's the very definition of insanity to want to stay the same and I've had some conversations with someone close to me recently about how he prefers to to be boring. Literally, that's the words that were used, to be boring, to maintain stability. It's about safety and security, and he's doing this on purpose to stay safe, right? He doesn't realize that that's actually him building a prison, but you can't make someone understand that. They have to realize it, (laughs) that they're in a prison themselves, and everybody's on their own path, so part of my journey is to be able to step back from that and let it happen because you can't force someone to think or understand a certain way if they don't have the same experiences in life that you do. 
And Anthony actually gives an example about why music is critical for factory workers. Because if a factory worker is doing the same job for 10 hours straight, the pathway of the electrical pattern is close to the same. And the music provides variety. It alternates the pathways of the electricity in the brain while they're doing these repetitive tasks. But that isn't known by medical research and science. So if people just do the same thing all day, every day, and don't listen to any music, it doesn't have to be working in a factory. It could be working at any office job where you're doing data entry, things like that, creating reports. It's just not good for your brain to do the same thing all the time. People listen to music podcasts when they're doing any type of repetitive work or movement. Like, I cannot, I can't just jump on the trampoline, like... (laughs) Or go for a walk without something to listen to. I mean, sometimes I can do walking meditations where I'm really focused on the environment and just seeing what thoughts come onto the screen of my mind, so to speak. But I can't get on the trampoline or do the same workout every day. Like, I never do the same workout every day. I use Bar 3. I've been a subscriber for going on two years now. Love Bar 3. And every single workout is different. I've never repeated a workout because they have new ones every week and they create like a schedule for you. I don't work for them. I just, I'm a big fan. So I think that's super important. You're always challenging your body. You're not just going in the gym and doing the same exercises every time because you're just trying to like maintain, right? I just don't think that's smart, especially if you don't listen to music while you go to the gym either. You're doing the same things every time. And I just don't understand that (laughs) at all. But to each their own, I'm just trying to explain the science behind it to you the best way I know how. But really what that does is that it keeps those circuits in the brain from getting burnt out, which is a real thing. Anthony points out the exercise programs of the past used to just have one or two repetitious movements, but now there can be between 20 and 30 different techniques used throughout a whole session. And this leaves people feeling more refreshed and not fatigued after their workout. And it's because the variation in the movements requires and changes the brain's electrical patterns, which breaks the brain's heat. So fascinating. I used to be a personal trainer. Some of you might know that. And now I'm working on becoming kind of a health and wellness coach. And actually I did a three day, it was 30 hours, 30 hour training from 9am to 7pm, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday last week with the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, also called IPEC. It's one of the best coaching schools in the world, a legit coaching school. So it's not just like somebody online saying, become a coach, get my certification that has my name on it. You know, it's not like that at all. It's proven systems, energy coaching and energy shifting. It's really up my alley. It's not woo woo, which is what drew me to it. It is very practical and works on getting to the core reasons why people aren't able to shift on their own by focusing on things on the external, right? People are saying, oh, I want to lose weight. And so they're always focusing on the scale, focusing on the food, focusing on things outside of them rather than the internal. Like, why did you gain weight? Why do you have this issue with food? What are you eating? Like getting really nitty gritty into why you're making the choices you're making. And I find that fascinating and so helpful. I mean, there's no way that my clients are not going to get results from this type of work. And I'm pumped about it because I love getting results for people. And I think that what's going to make it so awesome is that it's not about me getting results for them. It's about them, me coaching them to get results for themselves and being accountable to themselves and making that transformation, which is really exciting. Yeah. So Anthony says that an experience can be overpowering enough sometimes that the brain can't shift gears so easily and the brain heat sustains. So if someone is focused on anger, like they're having a fit of anger, rage, meaning they can't break that frustration or the anger that they have towards something that happened in their life, it's 
almost like they have this madness because the brain heats up way past its limits. The sparks, those flash sparks, essentially become chronic and they become so chronic that the patterns of electricity stay lit in the same areas over and over again. So when you fixate on one thing that hurt them in one way, it sends the electrical pattern on that one path hitting the same spots in the brain, heating up the same pathway over and over and over again not allowing the pathway to cool down. So the brain gets damaged from the heating that occurs over and over again. Brain tissue can actually get scorched, scarred, and callous. And later on in the book, actually chapter five, so coming up soon, it's called Your Emotional Brain. We're going to read more about that. It's actually really fascinating and explains so much about mental illness symptoms. It's going to blow your mind. Pun intended. (laughs) Toxic heavy metals heighten the experience of brain heat. Just having toxic heavy metals in our brain can make us sad, can make us angry. And I accidentally sprayed some hairspray on y'all. I thought it was dry shampoo. And I even went outside to spray it and it turns out it was hairspray. And it had, and that was just my mistake, but it had aluminum, like it was an aluminum can, but one of the ingredients was this like aluminum starch, I guess. So then I had a really bad headache later that night. I don't know if it was because of the heavy metals, but you can bet your bottom dollar I'm back on this wagon with my heavy metal detox smoothies this week. And you know, I'm already feeling better. I feel like I have a day of recovery after that garbage and I'm in the mode for removal and just detoxing from that. I had the worst, I just had had a headache like that in so long. So the metals can also make us very inconsistent and struggling with emotional patterns. Toxic heavy metals create bipolar disorder and mania. A little bit of a preview. I've highlighted this part in the book for a reason. Toxic heavy metals create bipolar disorder and mania. Toxic heavy metals can also make it easier for us to get triggered emotionally. And then when we do get triggered, the brain heats up from the electricity of the intense emotions with the toxic heavy metals heightening and holding the heat. The metals in our brain are coals in the fire that sustain heat. If somebody can't break a bout of anger or frustration, it's usually because toxic heavy metals are perpetuating that frustration or anger. They're not doing it on purpose. They don't just have like a chemical imbalance in the brain. It's being caused by the metals and the heat in their brain, but the doctors are not going to tell you that because they don't know. But that sustained brain heat is super intense, and that's one way that people can experience going mad. That's what it used to be called anyway. (laughs) And then our brains get hot. When they get hot and there's metal involved, the toxic heavy metal particles break down. They literally melt. They get wear and tear when the electrical currents are going through them. They start to change. The shape of them changes. Corrosion happens. The smaller the particles, the more easily they melt when the brain heats up. And when that happens, when the toxic heavy metals that are in the brain melt, they turn into a liquid gas chemical. The metals change from a solid to a liquid gas. They can spread and cover more ground inside the brain more easily. This means that as these metals in the brain heat up and melt, they move and they can slowly travel to brain tissue that's next to where it originally was over the years. So melting toxic heavy metals in the brain are one reason why Alzheimer's, as an example, worsens with time. The gas by itself can worsen any emotional, physical, or mental condition. So you don't want those metals to melt. Another reason that brain conditions can get worse over time is that more toxic heavy metals continue to collect 
in certain areas of the brain. That's why even these micro doses, right? These little tiny bits in our hairspray and our fresheners or candles, detergent, all these little things that are chemicals, toxins, whatever, all that can add up. And the brain's electromagnetic field draws the metals in that creates an accumulation and it makes the large deposits keep growing. And the larger the deposit, the greater it has, the greater pull electromagnetically that it has, meaning that it will keep attracting more of those toxic heavy metals into it. And the deposit of the metals gets bigger and bigger over time. And while that's happening, while the brain's electromagnetic field is pulling toxic heavy metals into other areas of the brain, the metals tend to accumulate where the field is stronger due to the nuggets of toxic heavy metals that are there. So if we're experiencing a lot of stress in our lives, that means electricity travels through our brain at a higher intensity and velocity, and adrenaline increases the heart rate and enters the brain, which raises the brain's heat levels. That's why caffeine is a no-go. But the more toxic heavy metals are in the brain, the hotter it runs, and metals retain heat. So it can become a really vicious cycle. Again, going back to the person who's angry all the time about anything and everything or has like very frequent spells of anger, they may have higher levels of toxic heavy metals in the brain that are aggravating that anger. When heat is generated for any reason, like a stressful situation that sends them over the top, right, so to speak, the metals change shape and form and the anger spells will generate even more heat because the anger raises the electrical field. So it creates an electrical storm and Daniel Amen has a whole chapter in The End of Mental Illness, the book that I think put me on the path to realizing, wow, there's more to this than I thought. <laughs> this isn't just some gimmicky, I want to make some money, like talking about weird health things like a lot of people do. He talked about electrical storms. And so hearing Anthony William talk about it, it just, it takes away any doubt that I had that what Daniel Amen was talking about was any type of BS, you know. The electrical storm melts more metal. That causes it to spread, which makes it have the potential to get in the way, interfere with even more electrical signals in the brain. And the melting toxic heavy metals that are spreading that liquid gas, what that does is it can then go on to hinder bodily functions and communication. That's why these drugs like antipsychotic drugs and antidepressants that are prescribed to people with bipolar or anger issues, that's why they appear to work because they numb your emotions so you don't create as much heat in the brain. So they appear to be helpful and they appear to be something that you need, but it doesn't take care of the root cause of why you're having that symptom to begin with. So it is not a real solution and bipolar does not require medication. It requires a lot more than that, but the medical industry is not going to make any money off of telling you how to make a detox smoothie with fresh fruits and vegetables and herbs that are going to help you remove and detox the metals from your brain. Ask me how I know. (laughs) People generally know that stress and anger are not good for our brains and our overall health, our bodies in general, but they don't know why. They don't know what systemically is at the root of it, right? That's what Anthony says. They don't know about the process that's happening inside the brain. They don't know how anger affects the brain in this way. And they don't know, even with the best neuroscientific techniques, meditations, thought pattern construction, mastering the mind is still a struggle for so many of us. And they don't understand why managing your anger, all those strategies can fail and why people continually fall back to old patterns. The reason why people struggle is because of the metals underneath it all. And so even the stuff that I'm reading about in Joe Dispenza's book, 
all that stuff that he's going to teach me, I am going to take it on while I'm doing the best I can to get the metals out of my brain because I know that the metals are there because I got hit with these bipolar symptoms when I had all this like crazy stuff going on in my life back when I got divorced and then other relationship issues were hitting. COVID, you know, all this stuff. The last time I was put into the hospital against my will was in July of 2020 and it was like right in the middle of COVID, you know, and I was breaking up with this asshole of a guy um (laughs) which is another pattern I'm trying to break (laughs) and I was smoking pot again you know and not realizing that the ingredients that are told to be safe you know just because there's no evidence scientifically that they're damaging doesn't mean they're not damaging right all those things were causing that stuff to happen so all this work that we're doing trying to hack or rewire our brains it just takes us back to the same old patterns if we're not addressing the toxic heavy metals at the same time. So I feel really fortunate to be on the path that I'm on with learning these techniques that Joe Dispenza is teaching in this book. Like I'm going to spend some significant time reading again today. Like I might reread the whole chapter of overcoming your body because I didn't highlight anything. I just, I read the whole chapter all the way through, but I want to go through and highlight the pertinent parts so I can share that with you guys more easily on the show. I I love doing that. I highlight every book I read. Like I just, it's so, (laughs) it's so funny. Like I feel like I'm back in college really, but this is the best learning I've ever done. So I'm excited about it. And then, yeah, really taking the heavy metal stuff seriously. I've gotten rid of a whole bunch of personal care products that have metals in the, in the ingredients list. Like no lie, aluminum starch, you know, (laughs) like you're breathing in aluminum and there's no way when you're spraying your hairspray that you're not going to get heavy metals, that you're not going to inhale that. And it's in aluminum can too. And so you're going to tell me that that stuff inside this aluminum can isn't leaching that aluminum into it too. I kind of feel that way about drinking out of a plastic bottle. Like water can oxidate. Like water is able to break things down. So what's interesting, Anthony points out that your brain can't be filled with shiny clumps of metal. So it can be really difficult to envision all that's going on in our brain. But toxic heavy metals, they're not shiny clumps. They're beyond microscopic. They could be in nanoparticle form or even smaller. That's why when you hear things about certain injections and treatments for certain infections that people are just way too scared of containing nanoparticles of metals why that's such a problem even if it's just a little bit like a little bit of mercury (laughs) it's not okay like it's still gonna get into your brain and it could cause symptoms like autism but they could even be smaller than nanoparticles and I didn't even know that femtoparticles and yoctoparticles were a thing until I read this book. But it's these smaller particles that enter into and fill up our brain cells and eventually kill them. But then the large particles, which are the nanoparticles of the toxic heavy metals, sit between brain cells and don't always enter the brain cells. And in that position, it can be just as destructive because they can still interfere with communication from one brain cell to another. Like literally, it's just getting in the way. And our cells are small too, right? So whether they're in or between the brain cells, the toxic heavy metals are problematic. Either way you look at it, when the particles melt, corrode, give off gas, things like that. So when we're picturing heat and metal in the brain, Anthony says that we need to remember we're not picturing our brain as a blacksmith's shop. Okay, they aren't large pieces of metal that are being forged with a 2000 degree heat. We're talking about a metal particle scale that is nano sized and under, and there is a lot of these particles. It doesn't take many years to accumulate trillions of toxic heavy metal particles inside the brain. And even then, even then, even if there's trillions, you still wouldn't be able to see them. 
We're talking also about an entirely different heat scale than inside a blacksmith shop. And then of course there's acid, and we're gonna get to that in chapter nine called your acid brain. An acid brain changes the heat scale. Acidic blood doesn't allow toxins to leave the body easily, and that raises the brain's temperature. So you can kind of start seeing just from hearing that how it's all connected. Acidic blood, things that we eat cause the body temperature or the brain's temperature to go up, making the heat in the brain worse, causing mental illness, like the things we eat matter. But it doesn't matter if we can see the toxic heavy metals inside our brain because the damage they do can still be seen over time, you know, like devastating symptoms, really frustrating symptoms, as I've seen with, well, my grandmother on my mom's side, oh mom, she passed away from Alzheimer's and I know how hard that was. I actually don't know how hard it was because it wasn't my mom and I hope to God my mom doesn't go through a similar thing, but that's what would be called a devastating symptom and certainly going through the the years of pain and frustration and depression and anxiety that I did, those are beyond frustrating. <laughs> I thought my life was over. I literally thought my life was over. I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't think. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't It was bad and I didn't know that I had damage in my brain. And what's crazy is while you can see the toxic heavy metals effects in medical imaging sometimes, they won't be recognized as what they are. The metals can cause oxidation of brain tissues and in some cases, MRIs or other types of brain scans can show gray areas, white spots, lesions, dark spots, or brain tissue damage. But the medical professionals don't know they're looking at toxic heavy metal problems. They don't know. They don't know what they're seeing. So the toxic heavy metal invasion of brain cells and brain tissue, it remains extremely elusive is what Anthony says. You could be suffering from a brain disease and donate your brain to science. My Oman did. She donated her brain, her whole body to science, I believe, at UF, University of Florida. Scientists could cut it open after you pass away and they still wouldn't see the metals. They're not testing the tissue to specifically test or check for metals. It's just not on the agenda of the person doing the autopsy. They don't look for toxic heavy metals. And only in extreme cases do the deposits build up in the brain to the point that it would even be visible to the examiners. It would just be another brain donated to the publicly known medical industry, right? And it's not even informed that these toxic threats exist, right? They would just be cutting your brain open and throwing it away. (laughs) Meanwhile, Anthony points out that the classified medical industry knows that the toxic heavy metals are in our brain. It's part of their purpose. The more metal in the brain, the more mind control over society and the more money to be made from brain disease. You guys see where this is going. They're not going to tell us. They're not going to tell the public facing medical industry that this is going on because they can make money. It's all about control. It's all about power and money. And the more disease there is, the more money that can be made. It's economics, okay? There's more demand. They're going to create the supply and create the dependence. Manufactured demand. Anthony says that electricity is constantly engaging with deposits of toxic metals. But another issue is that the neurotransmitter chemicals are critical for our existence. And our brain runs those chemicals through, across, around our neurons. And those chemicals are critical, the neurotransmitters, right? 
And that's what they tell us, you know, when we get diagnosed with bipolar or ADHD, and I was diagnosed with both, you know, we're being told that we have a, a lack or something like a structure thing in our brain that causes less of a certain neurotransmitter, specifically dopamine, or in the case of depression, people have been told for years and it's been disproven, but it wasn't like major news. Like it just got swept under the rug that serotonin has nothing to do with depression, but that's what we're being told that it's a chemical imbalance. And and the chemicals are critical for sustaining the brain and they have to be pure and clean. But as the metals melt and they outgas over years, the residue can mix with the clean neurotransmitter chemicals. And that causes the neurotransmitters to become dirty, like muddy water. And so as electricity runs across, around, through neurons, using those muddy water neurotransmitters as fuel, the electricity can behave in different ways depending on which toxic heavy metals are saturated into the neurotransmitter chemical. So whenever the neurotransmitters get saturated with any toxic heavy metals, guess what happens? The brain electricity runs hotter. Your brain heats up. So if it's mercury saturating a neurotransmitter, then the electrical impulse will be more reckless and dangerous, in part because mercury is a shape-shifting metal that doesn't need intense heat or manipulation to break down and liquefy. That's why mercury is a well-known toxin, because it doesn't take much for it to become toxic. Same thing with lead. The effect of the brain's electricity on mercury can cause a whole bunch of different behaviors in someone, whether it's a child or an adult. But on the other hand, if the metal that's saturating the neurotransmitter is aluminum, then as electrical impulses run across the neurons, it will be less reckless. It takes more heat to melt aluminum and longer to melt aluminum than other metals. But the brain's electricity can still melt the aluminum, even though it's not a shapeshifter like mercury. And because it takes longer to melt aluminum, during that melting process, it's like we're talking about chocolate, right? During that melting process, the electrical impulse will lose strength and weaken as the aluminum particles absorb electrical impulses, almost like a sponge is how Anthony describes it. And that creates symptoms. And there's a whole chapter in the book about symptoms and conditions in parts four and five of Brain Saver, and, and we'll get there, but... We know what the symptoms are. <laughs> There's a lot of symptoms that we're familiar with. If you're listening to the show, for sure, or you've known someone who's gone through it. So what if someone has a lot of different metals in the brain? And the truth is many people do because you can have mercury, aluminum, copper, nickel, or even lead, and things can happen if those metals mix. But publicly known medical science isn't going to touch this for another hundred years. That's what Anthony says. And he said that's being optimistic. But when they finally do, that they'll discover all the disease complications that occur from systemic alloys. The name of the chapter is Your Alloy Brain. And when you think about what an alloy is, it's what forms when you put metals together. Industries frequently join metals to make them stronger or more flexible, lighter or heavier, more porous, non-porous, able to withstand hot and cold, and to create differences in how they expand or contract. So when engineers are selecting steel for bridges, they don't just put any old metal onto a bridge. And then, of course, how our cars are made, making bicycles, things like that. The type of metal is critical. Also, computers and our devices. Anthony says alloys are always a work in progress, and they're never definitive. They're always flawed, and they're always going to have their limitations. And these types of things, bridges, cars, devices, computers, these are where metals, these are where alloy metals are supposed to be. They're not supposed to be in our brain. They're not supposed to be in our kids' brains. There is no place for alloys 
in our brain and there's no space for them. Everything is in there really nice and tight in our heads. <laughs> Even there's a chamber of the pituitary gland. It's very compact and the fluid that resides there, it takes up space. And in this chapter is where Anthony goes into hidden brain inflammation. He says that living with a brain that has toxic heavy metals and their alloys is like getting something in your shoe. There's no room for anything extra in your shoes, so it makes us hobble, <laughs> makes us limp around, you know? One reason that happens is when toxic metals enter our brain, they create a pressure and a chronic inflammatory condition. This is what I had, y'all, brain inflammation. The doctors weren't able to tell me what was causing it. Nobody mentioned toxic heavy metals at all. They thought it was viral, which I think had something to do with it. I think it had more to do with my thyroid, the virus did, than necessarily the brain. But, you know, viruses can create stuff that causes problems in the brain, aggravates the toxic heavy metals. We'll get to that. There's a chapter called your viral brain. I think that's the next chapter. Yeah, your viral brain and then your emotional brain. So it's kind of really exciting. Yeah, he says that this type of brain inflammation where the pressure creates chronic inflammation in the brain is different from the brain inflammation that we'll learn about in the viral brain chapter where the viruses and their waste products can inflame nerves because with metals it's a subtle brain inflammation that's not so much about swelling it's creating localized inflammation so these tiny areas around the spots where metals have taken up residence it's because of the physical injury that the metals have caused to the brain tissue. It's kind of like the inflammation that you'd get around a splinter. Your whole foot doesn't swell up. It's just that spot in your skin where the splinter is. So toxic heavy metals only create spots of inflammation. The larger the deposit of toxic heavy metals, the more aggressive the inflammation can be. This is the type of inflammation that eludes the medical field and is virtually impossible to detect on any level from MRIs or CT scans, even though it's still enough inflammation to create a myriad of symptoms. What kind of symptoms, you ask? Headaches, different varieties of headaches, different sensations. That's why I'm thinking that like the hairspray made me have that really bad headache. Different sensations within the head, aches and pains, feelings of weakness, lightheadedness, emotional reactions to situations in our lives, depression, anxiety, tics, spasms, brain fog, memory loss, compulsive obsessions, involuntary actions. Metals in the brain can even alter our decision making without our realizing it. And when it comes to our brain, Anthony says that we can't just let all the toxic heavy metals out the way we shake out sand from our shoes or pull out that splinter, right? He says it takes the right approach to extract the toxic heavy metals from the brain. So if you want to read ahead, grab the book because part five, no, part six of the book, he has a chapter called Bringing Back Your Brain. It's going to take me a while to get there. So if you want to read ahead and you want to get started on this, like just you don't have to read every chapter of the book to get practical steps out of it. Yeah, so toxic heavy metals, these alloys in our brains actually influence our behaviors, actions, thoughts, decisions, feelings, memories, and our sense of self. They alter development of our brain and organs in the womb even. And that's why it's really important to choose a partner who <laughs> really values the same things you do in terms of keeping toxins and pathogens and of course these metals that are toxins, right, out of our diets and supports you in your quest to do that. Speaking from experience, you know, you want to know that your partner is contributing good genetic material in that way and doesn't have a bunch of toxins that they're not aware of affecting how they show up in their lives. 
I've had a partner tell me that it doesn't matter because they aren't affected. They haven't seen the effects. But the thing is, you don't realize what the effects are. <laughs> You're not supposed to see it happen until, I don't want to say it until it's too late, but I certainly had no clue that the gradual decline of my mental health had anything to do with toxic heavy metals. It took me a long time to realize that. The alloys in our brain also determine how fast we see something with our eyes. Anthony describes a situation where one person could say, did you see that? And the other person could say, no, see what? It's not a matter of vision. It's a matter of the toxic heavy metals, the alloys in the brain affecting our perceptions. And it depends on the blend and the location of the alloys in the brain, but they can prevent someone from seeing a fast moving object. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person who did see that object doesn't have alloys in the brain. They could actually have alloys that help them see <laughs> while hurting them in other bigger ways. Or they could have an alloy in the brain that making them think they saw something. And maybe the reason the other person didn't see the object was because it was never there. That's maybe what they would think. But that's a mystery of the alloy brain. <laughs> and there's no regulation of alloys in the brain. And he gives the example of autism as an alloy brain creating a complex interplay of neurological effects. Some children with autism are gifted in many ways and struggle in many other ways. Alloys have an effect on brain messaging, and that means that they influence our memories, emotional sensations, nostalgia, and even our dreams. Alloys can alter, change, and shape our dreams. People wonder why dreams are so ridiculous or obscure or bizarre, and it can happen because electrical pathways that carry information through the brain are hitting deposits of alloys that alter the information, changing the structure of that information. I think we'll wrap it up for this episode. Next part, we'll talk more about trace minerals, which Anthony calls our brain's peacekeepers. And that deserves an episode all by itself. We talked a lot about electricity today and how the metals are affected by electricity and what kind of symptoms they can cause. And I find it quite fascinating. <laughs> Next week's episode, we'll talk about trace minerals and how these beneficial metals in our brains are there to keep our brains from shrinking, to feed our brains immune cells and keep our brains strong. But there's a lot more things that trace minerals are there to do. And we'll get into that in the next episode. Thanks for joining me. This has been Misdiagnosed and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to Misdiagnosed. If this show has helped you in any way, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Sharing your experience will help others who are lost in the darkness find their own way out of the science of lies. Please note that while I may go in-depth into medical topics and have acquired substantial medical knowledge, I am not a medical doctor. I'm a researcher. I'm a messenger of hope for other survivors of industrialized psychiatry. Because of how toxic psychiatric drugs are, it can be extremely dangerous, even life-threatening, to suddenly stop taking certain drugs. This is especially true for antidepressants, antipsychotics, and benzodiazepines. The longer you've taken the drug, the more dangerous withdrawal can be. If you want to heal your brain and soul naturally, the way it was designed to do, please seek the help of a compassionate and patient-centered physician to start the process of withdrawing from them as safely as possible. It will take time for your brain to reacclimate to life without the drugs, and there are doctors out there who will support you in your quest to save your brain. Never give up. You can heal. 